0: Okay, good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 166. Uh, as we get ready to move into the final third of the Council of Elrond, I was just, uh, just this, just yesterday, actually. Uh, I mentioned last week that I'm doing my annual uh, reread of the Lord of the Rings. And I just got to this passage, I I, I split the Council of Elrond up into two days. Uh, So yesterday I was just reading the second half of the Council of Elrond, and um, so I was paying careful attention, like watching until we got to the, uh, I was listening to it of course on my phone, uh, and I was watching until we got to the place where, we got to the paragraph that we just discussed, and we're like just barely over. Uh, over two thirds of the way through, which is more than I thought, actually. So we're doing we're doing well. I'm pretty confident that we're going to be finished with the Council of Elrond by midsummer, <laughs> at least. I think, maybe even spring. Who knows? Maybe spring. We'll uh, we'll um, we'll get there. Um, but um, anyway, so um, it's. Um, next Christmas. No, we'll beat that trifle. No question. Oh, we're, we're good. We're good. Um, uh, (laughs) so, uh, yeah, cool. All right. So, um, before we start, I just wanted to uh, uh, to announce to everybody. So, I just, uh, or rather, I wanted to tell you that it's official. I've been uh, teasing this announcement for the last couple of weeks, but we have officially launched our new Signum Academy clubs. Really excited about this program. I know there are a lot of teenagers and, and kids out there who are really needing. Uh, more stuff to do. I know there are a lot of uh, school extracurricular activities that have gone down and have never really been able to recover. Of course, with the latest wave of COVID situation here in America, um, there have been you know even more uh, you know changes and and uh, some. Places that had made progress towards going back to school, and now making unprogress. But whatever. Um, so Signum is, has launched our Signum Academy clubs. These are extracurricular clubs. They meet twice a week for an hour a week. Small groups uh, to get together and do creative writing workshops, to do book discussions, uh, to do conversational, immersive conversational language. Uh, uh, Spanish is our first language, uh, and then to also do translation clubs uh, to be able to do things like uh, learning the uh, the Anglo-Saxon rune system, or um, uh, actually learning for high schoolers, we're actually going to be uh, they're going to be starting to learn how to to read uh, to read Anglo-Saxon. Um, so it's going to be uh, it's going to be super fun. I am uh, really really excited for our club's program uh, to begin. The actual uh, meetings, our actual uh, uh, opening uh, officially of the program, the clubs themselves will begin in January. Um, but there's so there's plenty of time uh, to think about it. This is something that um, I just encourage people to, uh, to think about it. It's a monthly uh, subscription. Uh, price so basically you just you pay a monthly charge it's 90 bucks a month um, and then you can you can do any club that you want you can switch from one to another you could do creative writing for a while you know you can do like a, a book discussion then you can do creative writing for a while something like that um, this is something that you absolutely can gift uh, to uh, someone else so this is a, it makes a, a great holiday present great Christmas present for you know uh, kids or grandkids or something like that. Um so I definitely uh recommend this. Um this is uh the, these are all going to be really small groups. Uh the creative writing groups and the language groups are all going to be capped at 7. Uh and the book group is capped at 10. It's a little bit bigger. Um but these are all these are really really small groups that we're talking about and you're and they're all led um by our Signum faculty. These are all uh you know MAs and PhDs in their fields and uh really experienced uh teaching at you know high school middle age uh, middle school age level so um it's um it's it's this is this is a, the, one of the biggest new programs we've launched in months. I think that this is going to be a, um, this is going to be a lot of fun. So just wanted to make sure everybody knew about that. Um, if you go to, I see they posted the link there on Discord. Go to signumuniversity.org. At the very top of the page, uh, you can see Signum Academy. Uh, on the drop down from Signum Academy, you can go to any one of our clubs. We also have um, some really fun options. And as we get closer to the end of the year, companies might want to think about this. Um, So if you are involved in a corporation that does um, uh, charitable giving, you might want to talk to folks at your work about this. We do. Uh, we have a corporate sponsorship program uh, with our Signum Academy Clubs program. Uh, so if a corporation would like to to sponsor some clubs, so say for instance, a company wanted to sponsor kids in their city, like, you know, to say you know we we, we can do that. So the uh, the the corporation makes a donation to Signum, and we take that. We take the money that they donate, and we dedicate that to defraying the costs uh, for enrollment, the subscription costs for the first first you know how are we depending on the size of the of the donation of course we spread it you know we you know, make that go as far as we can. Um, but, you know, we'll just say, like, you know, so for the first, you know, 15, 20, 25, you know, 50 kids uh, from, you know, the city of Detroit or wherever it happens to be, right, uh, who uh, register for the program, you know, they'll get like 50% off uh, their, you know, more than 60% off uh, their um, registration for a whole year. Um, that kind of program, uh, it's just, it's a, a big way that uh, corporations and individuals too, uh, can can really have an impact on um, uh, on their communities. Uh, to really enable uh, kids to be able to to take part and to make it even easier for kids uh, to take part in this. Um, so anyway, just lots of uh, lots of things, lots of options there, lots of things to think about. I definitely wanted to commend that to you. There's a registration form on there. Um, one thing you'll notice when you look at the, um, you know, one question that people often have, and we try to explain this, but it's unusual, I know. So some people don't really kind of like get the explanation. Um, People will say, well, but when are they scheduled? Because we don't post times, you know, for when they're scheduled. And we don't post times because we schedule around our registrants' schedules, right? When you register, we'll ask you, what time zone are you in, and uh, you know what times of the week are you, you know what times of the day are you available, uh, and then we put together schedules that work around the schedules of our students. We don't, uh, we don't just kind of declare times and then make everybody fit our schedule. So um, we always try to accommodate our schedules to uh, uh, to the to the uh, um, the availability of our students, and we're going to be doing that with the clubs here as well. So I know that's a question that sometimes people have, but if you go to the registration form, the registration form is simple and open to everybody um, the payment stuff comes later we'll we'll get that sorted out uh, with you once we you know figure out which club you're going to be in and everything like that so uh, feel free to, uh, to to register there uh, if you're interested and and uh, let us know you can get in touch if you have any questions um, you can get in touch with us at academy at signumu.org. that's just the word academy at uh is the email address for that so Anyway, that's, um, uh, that's just, that's the, the, the biggest thing that's happening this week. Uh, definitely wanted to share that with you as I'm really excited about our clubs program. All right, let us get back to the text. And I want to, um, uh, begin with, um, uh, oh, great. I see, uh, somebody in the Twitch chat, um, who is, uh, joining us live for the first time. Uh, they've, uh, I'm so happy you caught up, Slackfish. Good, welcome, welcome. Um, and you're welcome to join us on our Discord server as well. Uh, DruidsFire can give you the link there to uh, click on to join us in Discord, which is also the chat that I'm, that I'm monitoring there. Um, so anyway, awesome, great, cool, welcome. Always excited when uh, people who have uh, been following along. I mean, it's of course the more time goes on, and it's now been almost four full years that we've been uh, doing these discussions. Um, so, of course, it's a bigger and bigger challenge uh, to catch up with us. So uh, that's uh, that's a that's a big deal. Oh, great, Mr. Shirley here is also joining us for the first time. Always, always good to see new folks. Um, so uh, very good. Okay, um, so I wanted to go back into. I've not. Be, I've been neglecting our discussion boards for a few weeks, and I wanna. I wanna stop being neglectful. So a couple that I wanted to pick up from there. Uh, one from Jedi Master Tessa, who's uh, uh, fallen a little behind, but not too far. I'm trying to catch back up and just listen to the discussion of the words "wise" and "crafty," and I immediately thought of Nerdanel, the wife of Feanor. She is known as the wise, which never made sense to me. This is partly anti-Feanorian sentiment, since I can't imagine anyone who willingly associates with Feanor being considered wise, and she never seems to try to rein him in. But also, I just don't have any examples of her being wise, and I've never heard an explanation for the title. But crafty? She's supposed to be a brilliant sculptor. Of course she's crafty and skilled and creative. Is that what her epithet really means, that she's a strikingly good artisan? Then again, there are also a couple. There are also a group of people described as the wise in Middle Earth. I assume that doesn't refer to their crafting ability. So is Tolkien using the word in multiple different ways? If so, how do we know how we're supposed to interpret it? Wonderful question. Um, so, I, I, first of all, I uh, will no, not first of all. Second, I'll do that second. I'll talk about Nerdanel's Courier second. Uh, first, just as far as the word and the general question um, that. Is Tolkien using the word in multiple different ways? Yes, I think he is, and to make it um to make it harder <laughs> right to make it more complicated, I think. I get the impression that he's often often using it in multiple ways at the same time. Um I think that the the two senses of the word wise, uh the <clears throat> more modern sense, but it's not like this is a brand new sense of the word wise, meaning having wisdom, right? Um that I, I mean I think that is the prime and certainly when we're talking about like the council of the wise, um that is the word, the way that the word, I think, is predominantly being used. You know, when Saruman says, as we just saw, um, you know, I did not expect you to show wisdom even in your own account. Um, he's not suggesting that he, um, you know, he didn't expect Gandalf to, you know, make something with his hands. You know, he's talking about showing wisdom, uh, uh, you know, in the traditional uh, sort of the, the kind of normal sense. Um, but the word, the older use of the word wise to mean adept with your hands, having the, uh, the cunning and ability to make things, um, uh, even a kind of engineering ability, I'm thinking here of uh, the wisdom of Merlin. And the ways in which Merlin's wisdom was manifested uh, in uh, being able to disassemble and reassemble Stonehenge uh, uh, very rapidly, uh, which it was like an engineering feat more than it was. It wasn't magic. It was just he he knew how to do it, um, and that, I'm pretty sure that passage comes from Geoffrey of Monmouth, uh, the the History of the Kings of Britain. Um, but um, anyway, point is that older sense of wisdom is clearly there. And I think that there are moments when we can see it. And I hadn't thought of Noldor now, uh, Jedi Master Tessa, but I do suspect that that's very likely involved. Now, I think that she was also wise in the traditional sense as well, not only crafty and skilled and, give, and creative. Um, she was a brilliant sculptor, and she's the daughter of the greatest of the smiths uh, of, the, of the Noldor Well second greatest to Feanor, but, uh, who taught Feanor a lot. Um, so, um, so there were several ways in which she could be considered wise. I do think that she is being complimented for her wisdom here. And I know it might seem that she did not, uh, she wasn't particularly showing off her wisdom in her choice of a husband. I get it. Uh, th- that, you know, that's true enough, um but i i I can't blame Nerda now. I think she uh, uh, she does as well as she no, she can't rein him in, um, but that's not her fault. It's not that she doesn't try. Um, and in fact, like the two become estranged and she eventually leaves. I mean, she's one of the minority. think about it. Um, think about the people, the Noldor, who are swayed by Feanor's words into leaving, into following him out. Valinor, but his wife nerdanel is not one of them, right? She resists uh, the power of Feanor's uh, rhetoric. I think she's heard Feanor's rhetoric a time or two before, right? Uh, but um, anyway, so so she. Um, um, yeah, exactly. As Frumius Bujum says, the Valar couldn't persuade Feanor either. So yeah, like you can't, I can't blame Nerdanel for Feanor, right? I mean, she was his wife, you know, she wasn't his keeper. Um, and I really don't think, um, um, I really don't think that there's too much that, you know, she too much more she could have accomplished. Um, and yet I do think, um, that, um, she is credited for wisdom and I, I I believe that she she is, was really wise again, wise again. even her separation from Feanor uh, to me sort of suggests her wisdom. Um she couldn't she couldn't rein him in, uh she didn't have that power, uh, but she always knew when to cut bait, basically. I mean it was uh you know, uh there you go. Um but um okay and um But anyway, yeah, but as far as the general question, to some extent, I think that, um, the word wise, you know, it reminds me of, it reminds me of the discussion that we had about, um, about the word fair, how the word, you know, the, the word fair has a kind of a broader meaning, right? Meaning beautiful, just as the word wise, you know, means having wisdom, right? Um, but, um, uh but, of course, fair also has a more kind of technical meaning, which is blonde right specifically um and that, but of course, when you're talking about someone who is blonde and also beautiful uh, in what sense like what is being emphasized when the word is being used, in other words, I think there are definitely some times when Tolkien uses both of these words fair and wise in both senses at the same time, essentially um so uh um Sometimes I think it's kind of a play on words, on uh, Tolkien's part. I mean, he's perfectly well aware that 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 older usage of the word "wise" is archaic. Um, You know, it's it's not. I am pretty sure, you know, that even, um, you know, even at the time, even a hundred years ago, they were not using the word "wise" still very much in that way. That had, uh, uh, I'm in fact, if I'm not mistaken. I think the word wise. I, I quoted at the time a couple instances of when the word wise or wise hearted is used that way in the King James translation of the Bible. I think it was archaic then. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. You know, I'd have to look into that more. But um, um, but I don't think it was. It was that was a, a, a common. There, there are some instances of that um, King James isms that were. Um, not cutting-edge modern usages, even, even uh, you know, in 1614 or whenever it was the King James Bible was published. But um, anyway, yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, as Kirina says about Nerdinelle, no, she was wise enough to see his talent, you know, when he was young and wise enough to nope out when he went too far. Yeah, I guess, you know, there you go. What 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 more can you ask? I mean, you can't say she didn't, you know... She can't pick him, and right? I mean, she she did in fact marry the greatest of all of the Eldar ever to live. So, on, on the one hand, it's kind of hard to do better, right? What are you going to hold out for uh, if uh, if is uh, not good enough for you? Um, but yeah, she um, she did uh, also know where to draw the line. So there you go. And uh, Dan, I certainly agree. Nerdanel is one of the first in a long line of women in the Silmarillion who are quite a bit wiser than uh, the men around them. Yes. Yes, that is a trend. And Dan, something that I find really found really interesting, especially in our study of Morgoth's Ring uh, in the Mythgard Academy sessions, um, that when Tolkien is revising that Silmarillion stuff later on after he wrote The Lord of the Rings, one of the patterns that was really perceptible was both his beefing up and even adding to the female characters. He was uh, in the Silmarillion tradition. Uh, he did a lot, n- not a lot of it. Well. I want to be careful about that. Much of it did not get into the published Silmarillion. Uh, Some of it did, but not all of it. Um, and so it's interesting. But Dan, my point is that trend um, is even more perceptible. Like you can see him kind of consciously talking, consciously shifting uh, in that direction. I think in many, in many, in many cases. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Green Great Dragon says Kelleborn wasn't around. No, but he was still like the role model, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, okay. Sorry, um, but anyway. So great, great question, Tessa. Thanks for that. Um, uh, the <laughs> there was another. Um, we had a, there was another post on the discussion board from somebody who had just listened to session number seven. Uh, and had a comment about it, which was a great comment. I, I, we're not gonna, I'm not going to go back there. Not that I wouldn't, but I'm not going to just now. Uh, go back all the way back to Chapter 2. Uh, but I, So I just thought I would sort of acknowledge that and say hi, uh, because that person will probably not be listening to this for about two years. Um, uh, <laughs> but anyway, love to see that kind of intrepidity. But one more slightly more recent one, Matt missed last week. I saw Matt was here uh, this week. Um, But he pointed out a horrible omission. There was a word we missed discussing uh, in one of our paragraphs last week, which is quite shocking. Um, He says, I did notice one word uh, we missed in the discussion of the first slide. They took me and they set me alone on the pinnacle of Orthanc. The they here, mentioned twice, implies some of our imagined stagings, uruk or men entering with bows drawn at the end of the discussion have a basis in the text. It also goes a long way to explaining how Saruman so easily overcame Gandalf. It wasn't that Saruman was significantly more powerful than Gandalf. The conversation following the flooding of the Ring of Isengard implies Saruman was not expecting a large power differential between wizards. It was that Saruman had maneuvered Gandalf into a position where he knew Saruman had arranged things so that he had the upper hand and there was no point in fighting. Indeed, there is an implication that the unnamed they, in the unnamed they, that Saruman didn't escort him to his prison. The plural also stresses the series of singular pronouns that come, where Gandalf is pointing out how he, how alone he is when surrounded by a sea of enemies, a sea that Saruman has now disappeared into. It has moved beyond a struggle within the White Council. Now Saruman is a power in the world, akin to Rohan or Gondor, rather than an independent operative." Um, Excellent. Excellent. I think that that's a really wonderful point. They took me and they set me alone on the pinnacle of Orthanc. Yeah. I mean, we know he's got backup. I mean, we know he's not alone. Right. Um, But yes, the fact that Gandalf's capture was not a capture by Saruman single handedly in that sense. And it certainly does. I think that Matt's observation here certainly does um, uh, underscore the fact that there is no fight right? There's no fight between Saruman and Gandalf. I do think that Saruman was prepared for a fight, as we said before. Um, But I don't think, as I mean, we talked about this a bit, you know, as Matt was referring to, I don't think Saruman ever intended to fight fair. Um, That's that's something I think that we said at the time, but it's it's worth reemphasizing. You know, someone was asking if Saruman thinks that Gandalf has the ring, why would he think he'd be able to to, to take it away from him, right, to contest him. Well, easy. He already knows from historical proof that somebody who has the ring can still be killed if they're shot full of arrows, right? So I'm sure that uh, Saruman took measures uh, in that regard. I don't think he plans to have a, a heroic one-on-one fight, you know, in which he gestures to all of his lackeys to stand aside and let him fight Gandalf alone. Heck no. Um, I suspect that he uh, had uh, Gandalf ready to be riddled full of holes as soon as things went in that direction. Um, so, um, anyway, that's um, uh, that's. I, I I I I I agree with Matt that this does seem to support that kind of idea. Um, he is confronting Saruman. Gandalf obviously, in his narrative, emphasizes what Saruman says and does and the interactions between the two of them, because that's the news, right? I mean, that's, that's the story that he's bringing, uh, to the council. But, you know, it's, um, it's not really, uh, it's not the whole, like there, there were obviously other persons there in the room. Um, and I agree. I probably Saruman was not there to, uh, escort Gandalf all the way up to the top. Um, but um, yeah, Michael Tobias was saying um, he wanted to talk about the difference between fairy tales, where the heroes and villains work and act alone, and imagined history, where we see full infrastructures and societies with hierarchy. Yes, yes, Michael, and that is that's one of the big differences um, between the Lord of the Rings and the earlier works that Tolkien wrote, including. The Hobbit, and this is really important to remember, right? Tolkien does such a brilliant job of retconning The Hobbit into The Lord of the Rings, right? When he's, you know, as The Lord of the Rings develops out of The Hobbit and goes in some very different directions, Tolkien does, you know, not to mention obviously the Chapter 5 business, right, with the actual revision of The Hobbit, but even the parts that are not revised. He does such a wonderful job of bringing The Hobbit into, you know, uh, into this world, this larger world that he's built around it, that it's easy to forget the fact that uh, fairy tale, of course, Michael is exactly the phrase that he used to describe the Hobbit. Like that's, that is the kind of story that he was writing at that time. And there is so much in the Hobbit. If you read the Hobbit and you try as hard as you can to forget about the Lord of the Rings, right? Act like you've never read the Lord of the Rings in your life and read the Hobbit. You can see Michael exactly, um, exactly those kinds of things that um uh as you say we, where we don't see full infrastructures and societies with hierarchy. We get some, especially towards the end, we get a little bit more, right? Like about the, uh, you know, the economy around the Long Lake and things like that, right? We, we're starting, It's he's starting to gravitate in that direction. Um, wondering what the dwarves are gonna eat if they're besieged all winter and uh, being concerned about the uh, the people of Lake Town who are gonna die of hunger and exposure during the winter, uh, you know, from chapter two, 10 on, it's already beginning to move in that direction, but it isn't fully there. And for most of the earlier part of the story, chapters one through nine, I say chapter 10, the the shift in the Hobbit really happens, um, when Bill, but when the dwarves crawl out of the barrels from then the story, that's when the story really changes. But, um, anyway, but in the first nine chapters, yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't get much like that at all. And of course, Michael, even more significantly, The Silmarillion didn't get more like that. Uh, The Silmarillion is not that kind of story either. That is the kind of history, the imagined history, right? Not a fully imagined, it's much more fairy tale-like. It had been gravi- shifting as well. It had been gravitating in this direction, but it hadn't really fully made that step yet. Um, that, of course, again, is what we were discussing uh, so frequently uh, during our long discussion of Morgoth's Ring during the Mythgard Academy class. And I just... I, I Boy, our I know that, you know, the history of Middle Earth isn't for everybody, um, but that series on the history of Middle Earth that we've been doing uh, in the Mythgard Academy has just been like a life changing experience for me. So, I mean, it's I can't recommend it enough. Uh, It has been uh, an amazing sort of uh, immersion into Tolkien's creative process. It's been incredible. Um, But the Morgoth's ring discussion in a special was really exciting uh, in these uh, uh, in these ways. Um, but, um, but yeah, yeah. So, Michael, thanks for bringing that up. Um, and Turambar, I do agree with you that it seems that Saruman began his ownership of the ring in the worst way imaginable, uh, without ever seeing it. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I mean, um, you're right, Turambar. I mean, if anybody, if anybody was prepared to one-up Smeagol, right? I mean, murdering your best friend in order to take the ring off of his body is bad. I mean, that's a bad beginning, right? It's there's there's no question. Um, but what Saruman is going to do is arguably worse, and I don't think it's arguable. I think it's definitely worse. Gollum's murder was at least an act of a spontaneous act of passion, right? I mean, it was at least like a second degree murder, right? It wasn't, uh, it you know, it. But whereas uh, Saruman has elaborately premeditated. I think. Um, and not only is it elaborately premeditated, but it is also, also—it's um, also, of course, a betrayal, right? A betrayal of, you know, he is supposed to be, not only is he Gandalf's host, right? But he is also Gandalf's superior in the council, know, he's the head of the council. And um, there, are so, there are so many different kind of levels of faith and trust that uh, Saruman is exploiting in order to bring Gandalf into this situation that it's, I think it's, it's, uh, um, the more I think about it, the less, uh, qu- questionable I consider it. That's this would be way, way worse than Gollum's start. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and yes, Green Great Dragon, Saruman should know better. Whereas as you, as you're suggesting, I think, uh, um, uh, smegol i mean he he can't understand the implications uh of what i mean i don't mean he doesn't know that murdering is strangling his friend to death is wrong right he knows that right but uh, but yeah i mean he, he he in the bigger sense right he doesn't he doesn't kind of know what's at stake here um yeah yeah um yeah i agree um Slackfish uh, asks, if Saruman was prepared to kill Gandalf if necessary, why wouldn't he just follow through to be certain he doesn't have it on him? Um, Well, I think that before Gandalf, I think that Saruman is pretty certain from their conversation that Gandalf doesn't have it. Um, I think that I think that he thinks he would know if Gandalf had has it and I'm not sure he's wrong about that. I also think that there are good reasons for him not to kill Gandalf. Um uh he is um uh Saruman is definitely planning to um uh try to get more uh information. Yeah, as uh, Tyloniel says Gandalf is Saruman's best lead, right? So that's that's one very good reason. He's also Bar, a bargaining chip with sauron as well um so there 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 are several good reasons um which again when you also factor in the fa- the the degree of con- of self confidence that Saruman has he's pretty sure that he knows that Gandalf doesn't have the ring um uh so yeah yeah i think that he's he's he uh, he still wants to keep him alive um yeah Yeah. Forthana says, if we're thinking of this as the beginning of Saruman's ownership of the ring, could we consider part of his speech a ring induced monologue rather than a good faith attempt to persuade Gandalf? No, because, of course, he doesn't actually own the ring. Right. I mean, uh, it's uh, it's just exactly like Smeagol's ownership of the ring, apart from the ownership part. Right. Um, And he doesn't follow through with the murder. Right. So there we go. Uh, It would have been worse. But uh, yeah, no. So um, he's I don't I can't I can't think that it's exactly a ring induced dialogue. It's a it's a it's a Saruman induced dialogue. Right. I mean, he's his desire for the ring. He wants the ring, but it is his own. It is his own desire, his own desire for power. The ring is important to him as I was about to say as a symbol, makes it sound as if it were merely of symbolic importance. No, it's of literal uh, material importance to him. Um, But he is not being won over by the ring. He's not being tempted by the ring uh, itself. Like the ring is not acting on him directly. Um, The ring's an idea to Saruman, a very attractive idea. Right. But he is sold out for the idea before he's ever come uh, within uh you know within miles of the ring hmm i wonder i wonder how close saruman ever has gotten to the ring i wonder what was the, at what point in his life saruman was most was most physically proximate to the ring of power because i don't see much evidence that he was ever that close to it um It's interesting in that, you know, he's... he's I just... Not usually a question I would ask, but thinking about the proximity of the ring and the temptation of the ring, you know, he is... Saruman is on the low end of the scale of folks who could have been directly influenced by the ring in any way. Um, But... um, uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, I, I, I... Let's see what beyond uh, Um I Yeah, I agree. But imagine how bad he would be if he did get the ring. You're absolutely right. Um, you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, and actually, and yeah, that's a good point. Maybe um, when the fellowship goes through Moria, might be <laughs> might be the closest he ever gets. It's possible. It's possible. Um, yeah. Well, Michael Tobias. Well, let's let's. Hold off on ring-induced monologues further. We'll wait till we get to another one. Um, they do seem to happen either in the presence of the ring or even from people who are possessing the ring. Um, you know, it's possible that there are a lot, lot of people having ring-induced monologues that we never hear. Uh, but, um, um, but I don't, I don't think. So. I doubt it. I doubt it. I think it is. Uh, I, I do think that there is a certain amount of proximity here. But, um. um Anyway, anyway, um, yeah. And Matt, I agree with you. He doesn't need. Saruman is going to ha- a ring-induced monologue. The thing that characterizes a ring-induced monologue, and this, by the way, is an example of me not talking about this right now. Um, uh, the 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 characteristic of the ring-induced monologue is the rationalization of the process of why you should do it, like why it's okay. You talking yourself into the idea that it's okay for you to take the ring. And as Matt points out, he um he doesn't he doesn't Saruman wouldn't even have that experience because he is fully ready to uh to claim the ring and he's prepared to do it. Um uh there's no need for temptation. It's not an issue with Saruman. He's already convinced himself, right? Self-tempted and self-fallen. Um he is uh he's already there. He's already there. Um Okay. Um let's see. Does Saruman refer to the ring as precious at any point, Dan? No evidence. Uh, he didn't. Um, he didn't in his speech. I'm sure we'd have noticed that if he had. Uh, he didn't uh, He didn't do that in his speeches. So, um, and that's, it doesn't, you know, the absence of it doesn't prove anything. But uh, but certainly the actual use of the word precious correlates pretty highly with, uh, it seems, the direct impact of the ring. Um, uh yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> says he Saruman thinks the ring should call him precious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um Oh it's good. I wants to know if I think um uh Saruman um is dominated by Sauron. Let's, um... Let's not, um... Let's not go there yet. Now is not the time. Uh, we'll come back to this a little bit later. I think we're going to have to come back to this at the Palantir episode. Um, because that's really the first time that we get the contemplation of the of that question, of Sauron's influence, because here's the other thing to remember. Um, there is a certain extra textual evidence supporting the idea that Saruman needed no corruption from Sauron in order to go the direction that he's gone. And what I mean by extra textual is If we look outside the narrative, or more specifically at the history of the narrative, the Palantir gets invented when it gets chucked out the window. Um, It's pretty clear from the manuscripts that the Palantir was not a glimmer in his eye until, you know, Pippin Uh, until, like, Gandalf talks and Pippin pulls it out of the water. I mean, uh, there are a lot of instances in Tolkien's stories where this kind of thing happens, where a thing comes up, and uh, in in his story, he kind of discovers a thing uh, in his story and then, like, figures out the significance of it. Um, And the stones, it's after the discovery of the Orthanc stone that he really begins to um, uh, work through what this is and what that meant and how it would have impacted the story. Um, So what I'm saying is this scene was written before the Palantir was a glimmer in Tolkien's eye. Um, So when Tolkien wrote this original, so we we, we have some pretty strong manuscript evidence to suggest that Tolkien had, when when Tolkien wrote this scene, in Tolkien's mind, Saruman had merely fallen To the desire for power, which was not linked—it's not that it was uninfluenced by Sauron at all, right? That he was unconnected with Sauron in any way, Um, but um, uh, but yeah, he he um, uh, he. It is certainly not the case that certainly in Tolkien's mind, the corruption of Sauron does not begin with a kind of direct control from Sauron's mind. There was no mechanism for such control. Not to mention the fact that it's it's wholly needless. That is, one of the things that Tolkien depicts very well, one of the things that Tolkien is very interested in, in so many of his stories, is how do you end up going down the bad trail, right? How do good, People, doing good things and seeking good ends, end up becoming villains. How do they end up uh, going down the path to their own destruction? Um, this is something he is interested in. Um, you know, he he was a little bit interested in this at the beginning with Morgoth and became more interested uh, towards the end. Again, we got some of that in Morgoth's ring. Um, with Sauron, he's. Uh, interested to this again increasingly interested in this as time goes by Saruman uh, is a a wonderful uh example of this kind of thing boromir of course and what happens with boromir is a really interesting um, drama in this um in this kind of case um so um uh, anyway that's um that's that's uh yeah so there's a lot um there's a lot of uh, um there are many examples of this kind of <clears throat> of this kind of thing, even with Smeagol and Gollum, um, I think. So um uh, anyway, I, I I I don't I think that even so even just thinking from that reason in general, <clears throat> I think that the idea that Saruman only goes bad because he's pulled, you know, like against his will or, you know, because his will is overpowered, uh, by Sauron. Um, it's not in that sense a kind of dualistic world, right, where he's being drawn over by the evil power. Um, no, he's making his own choices and he makes the same kinds of choices for very similar kinds of reasons that Sauron before him did and Morgoth before him did. Ungoliant, right, should have mentioned Ungoliant, um, uh, as another example of those uh, creatures who kind of go down this path. Um, Feanor praise absolutely. Absolutely. Lots of really good examples. Um, so anyway, uh, this so Saruman seems to me clearly, first and foremost, one of those examples. And of course, he becomes a very prominent one over the course of the Lord of the Rings. Um, so I, I wouldn't want to uh, I wouldn't want to sort of cheapen Saruman's significance, in a sense, Saruman's own will, uh, by attributing his fall merely to to that kind of external, you know, purely external corruption. Um, Anyway, okay. Um, Let's go back to the text now. All right. Yeah, Emily, that's really hard. Emily says there was something off about Saruman from the start. Wasn't there? At least Galadriel indicates Gandalf should have been the leader of the wizards. Well, Gandalf, or Galadriel's invented after Saruman's. Are you know the, the whole this whole plot? Well, let me say this another way around: the concept that one of the great wizards of the council has fallen into evil and become one of the leaders of the enemy party predates the existence of Saruman as a character. Um, that was the Witch-king. First and fr- I mean that was that was the story of the of the Witch-king or the Wizard-king um, as he was called prior. Um, was he was originally he was the he was the Wizard gone very bad. Um, and then that storyline shifted over to Saruman when Saruman's character was invented right around the time when Tolkien wrote this scene um, uh, of Gandalf going to Orthanc. Um but Galadriel was invented after that, so there's a sense in which, again, if we're thinking about it from the, from this point of view, nothing nothing Galadriel could say could be evidence, right? Because she she herself didn't exist uh, uh, before that point. Um, but yeah, there was no the first thing. Saruman's character was invented to fall here. I mean, like that's like there, there is no story of a good Saruman, you know, before his fall, in a sense. Or, right, the only kinds of stories that were written about the pre-fall Saruman are written after he's fallen, uh, essentially. So, um, uh, so it's, therefore it gets kind of written back into, uh, into his earlier story to some extent. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I know. For thoughtless, I'm trying to be. That's why I was flagging it as extra textual evidence. Right? We do need to be careful using textual history to infer Tolkien's understanding of his characters' behavior and motivation. Um, yes, yes. One does always have to be careful about that. I, I, that's why I, I. That's why I flagged it. Um, and you know, because I want to contextualize that. It doesn't like prove anything because Tolkien's. Uh, you know, the story you know his mind can change and his concept of his stories can change over time so it doesn't it doesn't um it doesn't prove it what it what it does prove if it proves anything it proves that um that was certainly not the story from the beginning that's the thing that it proves right so it is certainly at the very least it demonstrates that it is very uh very easily possible to think about it in that way. So if, if one has a hard time imagining that Saruman being in the position that he's in with Sauron, with the Palantir, um, you know, how could he possibly be driving the bus? You know, how could he be the one really making the calls as far as what he's doing? It maybe helps us to understand or to imagine that that kind of thing is sort of possible. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, good. Okay. Um, let's, let's go back to the text. So Gandalf has just described him, himself up on top of the tower, right? Looking out and worrying and hoping and fearing. And we looked at the passage, the Butterbur versus Sauron passage last time, which I love so much. Um, and, um, Frodo interrupts again. What's the score now? Who's interrupted more often? I think it's two to two. Now is has, has, has now frodo and Boromir each interrupted twice at this point now that's it's interesting this little um they're like the two unruly members of the council um Bilbo is a little bit unruly too but in a different in a different kind of way um he doesn't kind of break in on people in the same way um is this three for frodo trifle well, it's possible I might have lost score um uh but um uh, and you're right. Glowing got one in Nancy too, right? Yeah, he definitely. Uh, um, you know, you were you, you, the uh, his. You were not so tender with me is definitely that uh, definitely counts, no question. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, okay. I saw you cried, Frodo. You were walking backwards and forwards. The moon shone in your hair. Gandalf paused, astonished, and looked at him. It was only a dream, said Frodo, but it suddenly came back to me. I had quite forgotten it. It came some time ago, after I left the Shire, I think. Uh, So, first of all, um, when did it come? Do you remember? Who remembers when, when Frodo's dream about Gandalf came? Yep. Tom Bombadil's house remember he had he had two dreams um, the first one the dream of the tower by the sea, right um, and then he had the Gandalf on top of a tower um, this scene that Gandalf has just described uh, and that Frodo now suddenly remembers he had well he was in Tom Bombadils. House. And it ended, Mike, yeah, it ended with the the sound of the galloping hooves, right? And he wakes from that thinking, Black Riders, and expecting to see uh, the turf outside the window all covered with hoof prints, the hoof prints of black riders. Um, right, exactly, yeah. The Tower by the Sea was at Crick Hollow, uh, and this was his dream in the house of Tom Bombadil. Now What do you make of this? Frodo barely remembers it, right? I mean, he doesn't remember clearly when he had it. Uh, and he's right after I left the Shire, yeah. Now, Gandalf. Um, Gandalf says, then it was late in coming, said Gandalf. As you will see, I was in an evil plight. And those who know me will agree that I have seldom been in such need and do not bear such misfortune well. Gandalf the Grey, caught like a fly in a spider's treacherous web, yet even the most subtle spiders may leave a weak thread. Um, so, hang on now. Um, does it... Does it sound like Gandalf is... Downplaying what just happened there a little bit, um, yeah. Mad violinist is exactly what I was just thinking. He says, "Interesting how this remarkable bit of vision gets buried and passed over." Yeah, I mean Gandalf's only. I mean he pauses and looks at him astonished, like, "Wait, you what? You dreamed? Oh, you dreamed me in Isengard?" And then Gandalf is merely like, um, yeah. Then it was late, and well, it was too late, right? Um, are Visionary experience was anachronistic, Frodo. Right? Um, you, you, you failed to have foresight, or even just sight. It wasn't even a current events dream. It was a recent events dream, right? Um, <laughs> I, you know, I'm. Uh, I don't really get it. Um, (laughs) I don't really get it. Um, Frodo failed. That's a little harsh. (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah, exactly. Can't you have slightly more timely visionary dreams, Frodo? They'd be a little more useful in that case. Um, There are obvious questions to be asked on several different levels, right, about Frodo's vision here. And not just about Frodo's vision, but about Frodo's mentioning of his vision, about the bringing up of Frodo's vision here, right? Um, How does Frodo get his vision? How is it provided? Why is it provided, right? Um, And then why uh <laughs> why why does uh nobody make anything of it um as flamifer says the council is remarkably disinterested uh in uh in uh, divine revelations yeah exactly they're like oh yeah whatever uh you know miraculous revelation uh to the halfling uh whatever anyway go on gandalf um Tarlonio, I don't think Frodo has told anyone about his strange dreams before this. I bet you Sam's astonished too, uh, over in the corner, hearing, um, hear to, hearing Frodo say that. I think uh, it's surprise. Gandalf would probably have infenestrated him at this point if uh, he hadn't already been sitting in the room. Um, but um, yeah, as Prey says, Boromir's already had one of these. It's old news, though. That's exactly exactly what I'm wondering uh, praise is that, I mean, it does, we have had a precedent, right? And the precedent in the council, right? The vision of Faramir and, and, and once of Boromir, uh, is, um, is that was a big deal. That was a big deal. And it was targeted in, you know, its particular way, right? I mean, it was a message for them to, you know, they, They received this. They took this as a message, as a as a as a call to action to them. What's the point of Frodo's vision? Um, uh, Yeah, I mean, Sam's asking if Gandalf is surprised he hasn't brought this up outside of the council. Well, he hasn't had much chance. I mean, he's had, what, one conversation with Gandalf since he woke up? you know, he didn't sit next to him at dinner, so uh, there's not been much chance for it. Um, uh, well, Flamifer, I can agree in a sense. Flamifer says Bordemere's divine vision was also pretty much downplayed by the council. Um, in one sense. In one sense, it was. And, you know, Flamifer, perhaps you're right. Perhaps that's sort of suggestive in itself, right? That, uh, okay, so um, uh, I wouldn't say his vision is downplayed, but the fact that it's an inspired vision. There isn't anybody at the council who's like, wow, you know, how is it that you were sent this vision i wonder who sent it you know and i wonder like what does it mean that a vision should be sent to gondor in this hour like no one is questioning everyone's like okay yep divine vision let's talk about what it means right i mean they they do talk about the meaning of it um aragorn's response um you know and here you know more will be made known to you i mean he he um he seems pretty I mean, no one disputes that it's a divine vision, but, but you're right. Nobody makes a big deal of that fact all by itself. Um, yeah. Praise you're right, until he knew the events it was connected to. That's why he cries out here, because it's only in this moment that Frodo realizes that he did have a vision, right? He, he just thought he was having a dream about Gandalf, like a, a slightly weird dream about Gandalf. Um, but, um, uh, so it makes all kinds of sense that he would, um, not have mentioned it to anybody. I mean, dreaming about Gandalf again, Frodo, like, that wouldn't have seemed strange. It only seems strange even to Frodo himself at this moment. I saw you! You were walking backwards and forwards, the moon shone in your hair. I love just the visual sense of it, right? Like, Frodo is trying to prove, I mean... On the one hand, if it's evidence that he's giving, it's kind of funny evidence. So, I mean, what's Gandalf going to be? Like? You're right! The moon was shining in my hair! You really did see me! Um, but, um... Yeah, Fourth, Thauntless, I agree. Frodo didn't even necessarily know it was Gandalf he was dreaming of at the time. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I don't think... Linda, that he's just ignoring Frodo's words exactly. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but let's go back to the question that Brandon was asking before. Um, why did it come late? Why did it come late? Um, I mean... In a very simple... Now, the conclusion that we came about it at the time, as I recall, and as someone, I forget who, was just reminding, maybe Trifle, uh, was just reminding us, um, the the point of the dream, it seems to have been a reassuring dream to Frodo, which he misinterprets, right? First, he sees the vision of Gandalf on the tower, which he's not quite sure... He understands that, and then he hears the sound of galloping coming from the east. And of course, I was arguing at the time that it's not the Black Riders he's hearing, it's Gandalf that he's hearing, that the the uh, a paraphrase um, of Frodo's dream could easily be, Gandalf is late because he was held prisoner, see? But don't worry, he's on his way, right? Um, cause Frodo's wondering what happened to Gandalf? Why didn't he, why has Gandalf betrayed us? Why has Gandalf let us down? Um, why has Gandalf failed us? Um, and those, um, the answers to those questions, he, he's essentially given the answers to those questions in his dream, as well as a reassurance that Gandalf is on his way and approaching, uh, very fast, um. Um, And that part, Mad Violinist, yes, I think that that part is current, right? Gandalf was, in fact, riding hell for leather to the north uh, at exactly that moment. Um, So it's not that... um, The the vision isn't necessarily late in coming because it's not the whole story, right? the first part is an in-dream flashback to what was before, and it's the latter part, the galloping part, um, that, uh, uh, that is, in fact, current events, right? Um, yeah. Here's another question. Why is this... So, here's the reason why I think the dream is worth thinking about more now. Well, because it comes up, <laughs> it seems really simple, but it didn't have to. The dream of the tower never comes up again. Then Frodo's Crick Hollow dream, right about the sea, you know, the tower by the sea, um, uh, that doesn't come up again. Um, this gets brought up again, forcibly brought up again. Um, so, why is it that we? Um, Why is it that we, hmm, we get reminded of it? Right, we're invited to think about it here. Um, right, exactly, JJ. It's an explanation of Gandalf's tardiness, not a call for help. The dream isn't a call for help. It's not a. It's not a call for action. It's not like seek for the Gandalf that is lost. Right, in Isengard, he's trapped. Like that's not the message of Frodo's dream. Um, I. It's, um, this is not helpless Frodo Baggins, you our only hope. This is reassurance to him, right? Yes, Gandalf was delayed. There's Gandalf impatiently pacing around. Uh, uh, and, but no, he's coming. Um, yeah. Um, hmm, I wonder. Matt is wondering if the, it says, then it was late in coming. No, I think of the, the, the verb though, Matt, so that it was late in coming. Um, what is late in coming was the dream, I think, because of the past tense. Um, yeah. It was late in coming, as you will see. Um, hmm. Yeah, well, Mad Violinist is wanting to correct the, uh, um, to correct it to say, um, is it Frodo? Help is on the way, but you're on your own for now. So proceed with care. Uh, yeah, I mean, that second part of it certainly he should certainly be proceeding with care is definitely indicated, no question. Um, uh, yeah. So it, it's definitely not. You don't have to worry about anything anymore because help is on the way. Um, it's on the way, but it hasn't arrived yet, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, Slackfish, I wonder. Slackfish is asking, does, it, does Gandalf have a change of attitude between paragraphs two and three? Um, I was in an evil plight, and those who know me will agree that I have seldom been in such need and do not bear such misfortune well. I don't know if it's exactly a change of attitude. It is a change of mood, right? He's not kind of, uh, um, he was describing his state of mind while he was on top of the tower, um, that kind of gloomy and contemplative state of mind in which he was brooding about hopes and fears and, uh, uh, you know, worried and frustrated. he's kind of emerged from that, and he now speaks of it much more sort of from the outside. I was in an evil plight. I have seldom been in such need and do not bear misfortune well. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um. Gandalf knows the dream was late because he knows when Frodo left the Shire, and Frodo says that the dream came after he left the Shire, so um, he knows that he was already out of Orthanc not too long before. I mean, it's not wildly inaccurate. Um, he's going to say, isn't he, right, in a page or so, that he left Edoras at the same time that Frodo left Buckland. So um, uh, he is furiously galloping at the time that Frodo has his dream in the house of Tom Bombadil a day later. Um, but, um, uh, but he only escaped from Isengard what just a couple days before that, so, um, uh, yeah, okay, there we go, from the from Appendix B, Flammifer says Gandalf escaped Orthonk on the 18th of June, um, and the dream is on the 27th. Okay, so it's a few days, yeah. Um, it's nine days. Huh. What's Gandalf doing for those nine days? Huh. Weird. I mean, galloping, I guess, but... Um... That's a lot of time. It's a lot of time. No, he doesn't... He doesn't walk to Ederos. Um... Gwaihir takes him, at least most of the way. Um, He's discussing where is going to take him, and he asks Gwaihir to bear him to to Rohan. You know, probably not the threshold of Meduseld, is probably not where Gwaihir drops him off. But um, uh, considering the enormous expedition with which folks have had to travel and cover ground, it seems that Gandalf who actually is in a hurry and acquiring the fastest horse on the earth um, takes a remarkable, uh, mar- remarkably leisurely, leisurely time. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, okay. Sorry, that's just that's that's more time than I would have expected. That's all. I mean, even if it does take him a couple days to find and tame Shadowfax, I get that. But even that seems odd in its way. But yeah, 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 still odd. I get just when everyone else is hurrying. Yeah, it is a casual stroll through Rohan. I agree. Um, anyway, okay. Um, where was it? Okay, let's see. So good, thank you. On uh, Twitter, there, David Maloney um, raising the question, which a couple people had raised before on Discord, and I want to uh, I want to come to that. Is there any question of the power of the Ring being involved in this? Vision. Um, I doubt it. I doubt it. Um, I can't imagine that the Ring of Power is enabling or uh, creating Frodo's rings because that just doesn't... It doesn't seem to fit with the power, any of the power of the ring that we've seen. Yeah, Flammifer, I'm not thinking that the ring gives visions either. and Sam makes the excellent point that even if The Ring were in the business of creating dreams, um, he's guessing it probably wouldn't happen in Tom Bombadil's house. Possibly. Possibly. Um, yeah, I I mean, look, on the one hand... Um, uh, on the one hand, I mean, it seems hard to avoid the fact that Frodo is the one having prophetic dreams, and he's also the one carrying the, you know, super-duper ring of power. It's, uh, you know, it's definitely, um, seems a coincidence, right? But I just, knowing what we know of the ring of power and seeing what we see of the dreams, I, I, I don't think... Either one fits together, you know? um. Now, Mike, that I could get behind. Mike says, maybe the ring had a hand in Frodo's negative interpretation, right? So Frodo receives this dream, which is meant to be an encouraging dream, right? Gandalf was captured, but don't worry, he's on the way being, I would argue, it seems to be, the the message of the dream to Frodo, and instead he wakes up in a terror because he thinks the dream is about the black riders. That the ring could sort of distort his own um, could distort his own perceptions or understanding of the dream. Um, that would certainly fit with what the ring seems to be trying to do to him the ring seems to be trying to get him to remember the number one thing that the ring has acted on frodo to try to do the number one temptation of course put on the ring is the number one thing to you know to take the ring for himself is the number one temptation that he's gotten but the number two temptation has been to leave his friends and go off on his own right we've seen that come up a couple of times at the barrow we've seen it come up in tom bombadil's house um even even uh in standing on the table in the common room of the Prancing Pony. He had the desire to put on the ring and disappear from the silly situation. Um, uh, But this doesn't seem to fit with that at all. However, to twist an encouraging vision into something that sounds like they are coming for you, like you must find some way to escape. Wouldn't it be best to put on the ring and escape from this terrifying situation? That does seem to fit. That does seem to uh, uh, to, to hold together. So, Mike, that, that I can definitely easy, easily believe. Um, now, Forth Dauntless, I wonder. Um, yeah, Praise says that the ring is scared of the power of friendship. And, of course, Praise, as we will see, it has a reason to be afraid of that, right? Um, uh, yeah, now... Um, Sorry, for for Thoughtless was just saying maybe the connection goes the other way. Gandalf is a Maya of dreams, and his thoughts are probably bent on Frodo and brooding on his recent imprisonment. Both we know to be true. Maybe Gandalf accidentally reached out to Frodo. Well, that's the thing. It would have to be accidental. Right? Because Gandalf wouldn't be astonished uh, if if he had had any active hand in reaching out to Frodo that way. Um, I... I'm not sure I'd see it as Gandalf accidentally doing it. i um, not sure that that's possible. <clears throat> but maybe the home office was paying attention. Um, you know, I mean, uh, you know, if Gandalf used to hang out in Lorien, you know, not the uh, you know, nouveau Lorien, but the old Lorien, um, uh, maybe he... Uh, Maybe, maybe Irmo took a hand in that, I don't know. Um, Let's see, when does Frodo put on the ring for the first time? Oh, well, he's had it on a number of times already. Um, I mean, putting it on at the Prancing Pony is after the dream. Even putting it on in the House of Tom Bombadil is after the dream. I'm pretty sure. The show me the precious ring, Frodo, uh, uh, you know, show me the precious ring comment by Tom Bombadil um, is um, after. I believe it's the next day after they have their dreams. Um, So, yeah, he's. uh, Yeah. Yeah, that's the second evening, Mad Violinist. Right. And and the dream is the first night. Right. Um, And they don't dream the second night. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, okay. But back to Gandalf's comments here. I was in an evil plight, and those who know me will agree that I have seldom been in such need and do not bear such misfortune well. Um, It's an interesting comment. I have seldom been in such need. Of course I can't help but think about the time when um um I can't help but think about the time when Gandalf is stuck up a tree with wargs and goblins around underneath and the narrator of the hobbit is you know makes it pretty clear that Gandalf thinks he's done for at that point um but I guess he would probably, again, off if he were uh, making a list of times when he had been in great need, would probably have included the whole pine tree incident um, uh, among them. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but of course, I, I, I sort of, I love that parallel because... In my mind, it plays as a kind of synecdoche of the way the story has grown since The Hobbit, right? In both books, we see Gandalf stuck up on top of a high place, right, Um, uh, and surrounded by orcs and wolves, right? They, in both cases, right, surrounded in a ring by goblins and wolves, uh, and facing the prospect of his certain, his apparently certain destruction, until he's rescued by an eagle, right? I mean, the parallel is pretty striking, actually, uh, when you start thinking about it. But the the scale. Right, the scale of the two stories—from I'm up a tree hucking burning pine cones down to, um, you know, I am trapped in the on the pinnacle of Orthanc. Um, its uh, its 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 as I say, it's like synecdoche, right? It's like the the part standing for the whole, right? It's like a little a little glimpse of what it means to say the story of the Hobbit has grown up and changed in the Lord of the Rings. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Green Great Dragon says the, no, I will not come up, makes more sense now. Like Gandalf has a fear of heights, right? Well, I mean, look what happens when he climbs up the mountain with the Balrog, right? Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, Exactly. The Pinecone Incident is a type for the Orthanc Incident. Yes, yes. Yep, yep. Um, and you're right, Matt. Gandalf will also be surrounded by orcs and wolves on a high place in the Battle of Five Armies when he gets rescued by eagles again, too. And, of course, Matt, he'll also be on a high place surrounded by <laughs> orcs and wolves uh, when he's rescued by eagles at the Black Gate as well, right? This is kind of, uh, this is kind of a trend uh, in Gandalf's life. So I guess the moral of the story is if you're Gandalf and you find yourself trapped in a high place, surrounded by goblins and wolves, you've got them right where you want them, right? Like things are, things are going according to plan uh, when that happens. And that's the, I guess that's sort of the joke, right? Um Uh, Those who know me will agree that I have seldom been in such need, but those who know me well will know that every time I have been in such need, it's looked exactly like this. And therefore, those of you who know my story well will be able to guess very easily what happens next, right? Because uh, what always happens next when I am in that kind of need? Yes, yes. Um... Gandalf the Grey, caught like a fly in a spider's treacherous web, yet even the most subtle spiders may leave a weak thread. Um, Yeah, now somebody was making a really good point before I started talking about the parallel. Um, Let's see. forgetting who it was um, was it Flamifer who made this earlier point that I was wanting to go back to um, about the spider and the web who's talking about the spiders and webs I can't uh, I can't find it Fort Thomas was that you? might have been you. Um, yes, there it is. <clears throat> that was it. Thank you for thoughtless. Um, this paragraph is basically Gandalf's plan in miniature. Um, Even the most subtle spider may leave a weak thread. It's setting up the desperate gamble on the fool's hope. Yes, exactly. Um, it is um, It is really fun to see um, uh, the the parallels between the two, right? Um, Saruman's, <clears throat> Saruman's plan is undone uh, because the subtle spider has left a weak thread. Well, so has Sauron, right? Um, and, uh, um, and it's all about finding that weak thread. And Sauron only has one weak thread, right? Sauron's weak thread is the ring itself. Sauron has made himself vulnerable by making the ring. And so, therefore, and moreover, his you know, sort of psychology, um, is such that he's not going to anticipate the destruction of the ring. But, um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, it's, uh, good, good, music I was thinking about another parallel Mm -hmm. with, uh, with with Smaug. yeah, you're right, for Thomas. Sauron's weak threat is the way he thinks. He weighs his enemies in the scales of his own malice. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, no, Flammifer, Gandalf does know that destroying the ring will destroy Sauron. Um, uh, yeah, no, that's... He suggested that back in uh, um, back in chapter two. Well, I keep saying back in chapter two. This is chapter two. Um, back in the Shadows of the Past. Um, uh, it's known. It is known that uh, much of of Sauron's old power has passed into the ring, and if it's destroyed, that uh, he will be laid low. Um, Yeah. I think, by the way, this metaphor about Saruman, Saruman as the spider uh, and the web as the the web of, of Saruman's treachery, uh, is it also, that it's, it's, it's a metaphor that really reinforces this picture that we had of Saruman um, laying his trap. I mean, this has been a trap. He's not just, he, did, he didn't just want to talk to Gandalf. He's not just been hoping to pump Gandalf for information. He was not merely recruiting Gandalf. He was entrapping Gandalf from the beginning. Um, we talked about this when we talked about the layout of Orthanc, right, and how he's clearly, he clearly did work as hard as he needed to work in order to arrange to make sure that Gandalf would not suspect when he came in. Um, and um, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, so um, yes. Anyway, it, it just, it's just it's clear that Gandalf is now thinking the same way. You know that uh, he he was trapped from the beginning, Um, and the 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 image of Sauron brooding here in his uh, in his uh, you know making his home, making his tower, uh, making his stronghold into a trap to ensnare Gandalf, um, is uh, and of course it also reminds me, think remembering ahead again um, to the metaphor that Gandalf is going to use when he's going to compare Fourth Dauntless uh, Sauron to a spider. Um, Right about like uh, trapping the fly and taking the sting, remember? He's not going to swat them like a fly. He's going to try to trap the fly and take the sting. Um, And uh, that's you know, so we see Gandalf sort of taking that, applying this thinking directly to Sauron and wanting to to exploit it, um, yeah, 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 good. Um, and no, Nancy, I don't think Tolkien liked spiders very much. Um, that seems that seems pretty clear. That seems pretty clear. Um, good, yeah. Green Great Dragon is also remembering ahead to when Sauron's mind is going to shake free of his webs and stratagems. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yet even the most subtle spiders may leave a weak thread. Okay. Um, yeah, Terlonio, I was just trying to think just now of is there ever a moment when spiders are used, are referred to, or are used in a positive sense in any way at any point in Tolkien's Legendarium? And I can't think of any examples I can't think of any examples of positive spider talk, positive spider imagery. Well, there's, yeah, there's the innocent spiders in the treetops in Merkwood musical, but that's a, I mean, they're not doing any harm, I guess, unless you're a moth. Um, but, uh, but even there, he's enjoying looking at the butterflies Right? He's looking at the Black Monarch butterflies um, and then he notices the spiders that are up there to try to kill the butterflies. So even those spiders don't come across perfectly well, I think. Um, yeah. Bilbo has a poem with Gossamer in it. That's pretty indirect. yeah even in the errantry poem, yeah I know Tolkien I was thinking of tolkien's letter there uh, Dracon Terracney was quoting Tolkien's letter when he says that he doesn't dislike spiders particularly and has no urge to kill them, and he usually rescues them when he, those whom I find in the bath um that's it, a it's a, it's a famous comment in one of his letters. Uh, I'm willing to believe him when he says that, but his his fiction would certainly give no indication of it. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Did he ever read Charlotte's Web? I don't know any evidence that he did. Um, yeah. Uh, Charlotte's Web is a pretty extraordinary book in that way. As Mudmore is saying, there are not a whole lot of friendly spiders. Um. Uh, right, and you're thinking, Gilga uh, Lady of, uh, um, I sit beside the fire and think, right, of yellow leaves and gossamer and autumns as they were, um, right. Well, I mean, you also get like the the spider webs covered with droplets of water in the mist when they're leaving Buckland as a, you know, sort of a beautiful thing. But that doesn't make spiders good. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, that's a good reference, JJ, um, uh, that, uh, he's remembering Sam's reference to learning to walk like a spider when he crosses the rope into Lorien. that's at least not an actively like insulting or uh, uh, evil phrase yeah yeah um yep yeah. yeah I mean it's uh Turambar, I agree Sam is not having a pleasant experience at the time right but uh yeah no no I I, I don't think there's any positive views of spiders. There could be, but I don't don't think there are in The Lord of the Rings. Or anywhere in The Legendarium, really. Um, yeah. Spiders turn out to be almost as evil as cats. Yeah, turns out. Oh, you're right. Bilbo writing with a spidery script, though it's an insult to his writing. So I don't think it's meant to be. It's not complimentary. Um, Google it. Yeah, there is this story of uh, Tolkien getting bit, bitten by a tarantula when he was a kid in South Africa. But he was like, he doesn't even remember it, he said. I mean, he heard the story that he got. He he does not even. It's he was like two at the time. Um, So. um, Yeah yeah um yeah but anyway, okay um yeah, you're right, Dragon durante- directlyney says as uh, somebody who adores spiders and is distressed when people kill them. it's a tremendous weight off his mind when I read that that Tolkien quote about rescuing them. Uh, that's good, and I have to admit. Uh, Dracon Tarachne, I rescue spiders myself. I try to, my, the rest of my family is anti-spider pretty strongly, Um, and I try to convince them to let spiders live when they find spiders in the rest of the house, because I hate mosquitoes, you see. Mosquitoes are far more evil than spiders, in my opinion, most of the spiders pretty well leave me alone. Um, The mosquitoes just don't. So I, you know, in in my basement, which is where I broadcast from, I have a number of spiders that I cultivate here, there's one right there I'm looking at right now, um, because I, I encourage them to spin their webs and eat the mosquitoes. Um, but um, uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. So, you know. Um,
1: <laughs> I,
0: but I agree, Nancy, Ungoliant as a mosquito would not quite have had the same effect, I think. Yeah, it's a much less scary uh, villain. Um, but um, anyway, okay. I should, so I'm tempted to go on to the next slide, but I shouldn't go on to the next slide. It is too late. Um, but we will get to... The second most important Radagast scene in which he does not appear. Um, But like last time I think he's ever going to get referred to in the Lord of the Rings, if if I'm not mistaken, uh, in the next paragraph. So we will um, uh, we'll we'll do that next time. Um, You want to peek at the next line? Oh, look, it's Radagast. There he is. Yep. Okay, so we'll talk about Radagast falling or not falling uh, for next time. But um, awesome. Thanks, everybody. So thanks for Twitter folks for joining. I'm going to shut down the Twitter feed now. Um, but feel free to join us on twitch.tv slash for our uh, in-game Lord of the Rings Online field trip. To uh, See you guys later. All right. And Good evening, all. we'll say goodnight to those of you who are... Oh, and I'll put my earbuds in so I can hear... Game sounds in Valori. Okay. There we are. And so yeah, so for those of you who can't stay for the field trip, I'll say good night to you too. Oop,
2: hang on, what's going on here? All oh. right. Um, following up now.
0: <laughs> okay, great.
2: Save us some time than me trying to figure out who at the stable actually came with us.
0: Right. Right. That's a good plan. Yeah, so I took advantage of the big sale in the Lotro store over the Thanksgiving weekend and uh, uh, got the uh, other Valar thing and uh, leveled Narnian up to level 120. So he's not 95 anymore. He's level 120 now. So he's substantially less squishy than he was. He still has no XP or virtues or anything like that. Um, But... um, uh, but at least he'll be a little bit harder to kill and won't res back in Bree anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I'm still totally carrying my level five staff, Emily. Absolutely. I don't Narnian is a pacifist. He doesn't really he doesn't really attack anybody. <laughs> I, I think I have a box of weapons. Um, uh, rumor is I have a box of weapons, but I don't I never really use them. Um, Tekelvik, you don't have to leave Discord. Um, you can, but you don't have to. Uh, have, uh, I'll keep monitoring both feeds um, there. So, yeah, so uh, we're, um, we're going to head to Holtvis again, and then we can go back to the excavation and kind of work out from there.
2: Okay, sounds good.
0: So if, we, if we've been included in the raid, should we go to the Stable master? Hey, maybe I can get the milestone now.
2: Ooh, yeah, because I'm
0: level 120. Level 120 now. That'd be cool. Yeah, Narnian is so stacked. Or at least not
2: have to use a mithril coin every time you go.
0: Right? No, I think actually, I after I opened it the once, it was okay. Oh, that's good. Yeah.
2: So no, I'm with you about spiders. You know, since I mo- when I moved out to the country, I was your typical kid from like almost DC. It's just kind of like, ew, kill them all. Right. Then I moved out here and I I discovered there were worse things than spiders.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's nothing, there is nothing I hate more than mosquitoes who are at large in like rooms where I'm sitting and working for a long time or like the, Uh the, you know, like especially in the summertime when you're wearing shorts and your legs are under the desk and like, you're constantly being distracted by being paranoid about like swatting at your ankles and stuff because there's a mosquito. Oh, Oh, it's awful. And then of course, worse when you're, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Then it's even worse when you're, you know, like when you're trying to sleep and there and you know, mosquito is just like going to town. It's awful. Yes.
2: No. So I, I, welcome my eight legged friends as long as they pay rent.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've got like tons of wolf spiders in my in my uh uh basement here
2: we have one that lives in the mailbox we call her virginia wolf spider there you go what do you need
0: virginia sounds like a good name for a wolf spider uh, it's a pun virginia wolf but <laughs> yeah yeah well of course go and ahead, you Dad. and you actually yeah. live in virginia too right so yeah I mean, we actually yeah. live
2: in, well yes yeah. uh, well the wolf spiders are native to I think they're actually so, like around East virginianus or something like
0: that. There you go. So it's a, it's it's an entirely they carry apt, their
2: babies on their backs. That's right. Until the babies eat them. Spiders
0: right. Speaking of really cheerful spider stories. Okay. <laughs> Let's see. Where did that milestone go? That's it, right? Burning up. So I'm just running over to the milestone since I'm.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Do that.
0: Since I'm here. Woohoo! done with Tarman Sursa. Okay. There we go. Now I can just milestone straight here. No more riding across town to the... Okay. And now the deer and squirrels won't attack me anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah. Probably. Some of them will.
0: Right. Maybe not quite so much.
1: Not from halfway across the map anyway.
0: Right. Exactly.
1: Yeah.
0: Exactly. Okay um awesome let are people here yeah i think so by the way the uh wait so who's this green stand your your wolf there when i came in i was standing and your wolf was like at eye level and its feet are in the bushes here so I couldn't see that it was what it just it looked like somebody was wearing that wolf as a hat like it was right at head level and I couldn't figure out what that wolf was doing but now I see it from the other side. Wolf. Okay. All right, are we ready? I think so, yeah. All right.
2: Where are we headed now? We're we going back to the quarry or
0: Uh yeah, let's go back to the dig site. Oh wait, we were looking at that uh, island last time, weren't we?
2: That's right, we we were going to go back to the quarry and then we got sidetracked by the island. That's right,
0: yeah. Um we didn't get to go inside. Is there anything cool inside the Island.
2: Uh oh! Yeah, uh, we we didn't get a chance to go in there, did we? Okay, like, no, inside I, I the inside the like, like
0: instance in there. It
2: looked
1: like, like ruins.
0: All right, let, let's yeah, let's just go ruins. back. Yeah, get, got it, mostly mostly ruins. As if With that's least, nothing. You know? I know. Right? Yeah, I know. Like, there are ruins. We're there. Okay, so um, all right. So I am loving our theory about the. um, Whoa. Kind of expected to be starting to swim, but apparently I'm not swimming.
2: I think you hit the sweet spot for me. I the
0: did. Of- wow! Look at that. I just rode all the way across the river.
2: Yeah, rest of us
0: are hoping it. Oh, okay. That was unexpected. Um Yeah. So, I uh, so just to recap our theory for those of you who missed it, we just uh, this looked like Arnorian stone and everything from the start. Um, And then we did find a very clear Rudaran symbol on the inside of the big fortress at the top of the hill. All of these looked like defensive fortifications, not pleasure palaces. Yes. And then, but then we got in here and it was, hey, that was my horse. Um, Then we got in right to here. And we saw really clearly the scepter of Anuminus with the Rudauran, clearly not just Arnorian, but Rudauran symbols, the forest crown. Um, and so we decided, looking at the map, that this was an outpost. And Veloria, I really loved your theory about um, how this was an outpost probably made by a Lendo, or even by either by a Lendo on the way down or by a Sildor on the way home. Uh, from, um, uh, and that this was, that's why he had gone this way, Isildur had gone this way, uh, was to um, uh, kind of check in or build up more, you know, kind of maybe he was going to leave some of his men here, you know, in, in the outpost or whatever, um, uh-huh. as this was like the, 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 the Arnorian outpost on the other side, because it's just on the other side of the pass from, uh, from the Trollshaws. Um, and they would clearly have been thinking. He especially, Isildur, after the battle, would have been thinking very much about the communications between um, the North Kingdom and the South Kingdom. So, anyway, I got down there. Was where I died last time. Um, I don't, is, there, is there anything up around back? Anything interesting over I'm here? Seeing anything. I just I didn't get to see this part. I, I wasn't assuming that there was. Most of these ruins are unmarked, except for that one very prominent thing that we found. Um, but anyway, so I, I do love that. And then, and then, of course, it would have been maintained uh, to some extent by Arnor, and then claimed by Rudauer, which makes sense, because Rudauer certainly would have been the one in the geographic position to claim mm-hmm. this. Um. Oh, well, let's see. Can we go? Can we go can in? We, I
2: think we can go inside. Yeah.
0: You can just walk in. Yep. Hooray!
2: Huzzah! Huzzah!
0: Oh wait, uh, Green Stand needs an invite to the. I, I you got it.
2: got, oh, you got okay. I got it. Yep. Okay. I'm putting on the other one, so there's Lord Masters right.
0: on both sides. Huh, look at this.
2: A little even. Look
0: at these like hinges that's that's a little different you can barely see them ooh a complicated ceiling with a... that's not an it's not a numenorian star no but we've seen the ceiling before many times <laughs> hey i'm gaining xp for the first time in my life um <laughs> like seriously that was some that's, of the first xp X-20. i have ever I have ever gotten. Yeah, yeah I feel like that been, is. In fact, those 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 orcs that were just killed are the first XP that Narnian has ever received. Not afraid. Wow. because um, even the quests and stuff that I did were so under level for me at the time, I didn't get XP for them. For the sword quests, okay. Sorry. Alright, I'm looking around. The ceiling was very interesting in there and in here again too. Looks almost elvish. And here of course you can see the hinges and fixtures of the door more clearly. Mm-hmm. That's I don't remember seeing anything quite like that before. Maybe I have and I've forgotten, but the wooden beams are interesting too. And I keep thinking that there are runes around the arch. It's not. It's just weathered stone, I think. But it's weathered stone. It's like weathered in the pattern that looks like.
2: Yeah, that could be water doing that.
0: Yeah, I suspect so. Okay. All right. Well, it doesn't look too very eventful. Look at all this ivy. Why is there ivy growing indoors? How does it live? Can't get any sun in here.
2: Well, I don't know. It's one of those plants where it grows whether you want it to or not.
0: That's kind of true. <laughs> My horse leveled up for the first time ever. This is so exciting. Um, yeah, look, see, I see the worst deed leveling window just popped up because it's the first level my War Steed has ever received. Oh, that's fun. Okay. Um, uh, all right, so is this like a, a great hall of some kind?
2: It looks like there's a bookcase and a podium over here.
0: Yeah, a library. Look at this. These chairs are lovely. That is not evil upholstery right there. This upholstery must predate the Rudaran period, because that's never evil upholstery.
2: Yeah. A little eight-wheeled sort of chakra drawing. I'm not sure what
1: that is. It's like a shield.
2: Yeah, like a lotus flower shield. What, the design? That's the order of the white lotus.
0: Yeah. Although this
2: is all not work. Up on the podium, there's like an uh, eight-pronged design.
0: Yeah. You mean uh, in the carpet?
2: On the carpet on the podium.
0: Oh, yeah. Wow.
2: It does uh, give rise to my theories that this was a merchant outpost before it was a military outpost.
0: Or after. You know, because... Or after. It's, I mean, especially with the fall of Rudauer. I mean, the fall of Rudauer was some time ago. and
2: Yeah, this tree this would have rotted away with uh, that.
0: Yeah. Look, there's a chandelier still there.
2: What's left of it? It looks pretty rusted.
0: Yeah. It does. The wooden beams continue to interest me. It's, like, not, like, a vaulted ceiling at all. Just yeah, flat I... beams. It uh, feels unusual for a, a, a structure, like, a defensive structure like this. Ooh, pile of bones. Portcullis and balcony overlooking
1: kind of looks like a falcon shape at the uh, armrests of the chairs yeah yeah
2: yeah armrests looks like your... an oubliette or something down
0: there oh I, I see it. on the, the front of the armrest right I see it
2: yeah
1: it's very interesting
2: yeah mm-hmm. hmm
1: and I appreciate the fact that everybody in chat is actually not talking about the story in-game that happens here.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah,
1: I'm, don't. No I'm, spoilers.
0: I'm keen to guess. I like to conclude what we can conclude from observation, and then I will explore the story in a different context, the in-game That's story. Like a, little,
2: little night, a little bench here, beautifully, intricately carved bench surrounded by filth.
0: Oh. Yeah. A little inlaid bench. Yeah, there's the falcon heads again. Well, they look a little bit more like chicken heads from this angle. <laughs> but let's go with falcon. Um,
1: or uh, eagles? Eh,
0: eagles. Considering, b- considering the Considering the proximity. Yeah. That, that seems likely.
1: What just attacked us? I couldn't even see it. Sorrow lights. They're They're things that can debuff you
0: sorrow lights? is that like a is it like a gloom water little
1: spell of like yeah gloom waters yeah
0: oh are, are they the little glowing balls
1: trail? yeah the little purple things they're trying to debuff you but huh thankfully you've got shield ball on you so you're not taking any damage
0: okay well that is kind though darnian has so many morale points right now it's just Oh, no, not yeah, it does look
2: like an oubliette. I'm not really seeing anything. It
0: now, does. Is there a floor? You know, it goes. Uh, it looks it like a floor and
2: a little gallery on the bottom floor. Way down, we're like three
0: indicate. stores down at least.
2: Yeah.
0: It is way down there, the floor.
2: And nothing at the top. That and there's water for this place to exist.
0: So why are there bars, barring the balcony? So there's like balconies across either side of this. Oubliette or whatever it is.
1: Or drainage. Operator?
0: Fighting pit. Yeah. Is it I mean, that Is this just child proofing or what? I mean it's not very good child proofing as any child could yeah, just walk right, right through, through, through it. That. But yeah. Yeah. Um, but still I guess it's the thought that counts. Yeah. Though I don't suppose I would want to say to new parents that it was only the thought that counted when it came to childproofing, but um, yeah. oh, look, this model has bookcases on the front too.
2: Oh yeah, no, the other one did too.
0: If I did recall. it? Maybe I just didn't yeah, they're notice. all empty
2: though. So look at all
0: this shelving, but yes, no books.
1: It's like IKEA. I wonder what his Swedish name would be. Klarna. Swedish
2: for smoother
0: shopping. Another one of those benches. None of the doors are functional.
2: Oh, something glowing.
0: Oh, what, the paper on the floor?
2: Yeah, it's one of the lost doors.
0: Lost lore of the veils. There we go.
2: Somewhere yet he lurks and lingers, scrabbling with his scabby fingers, Neath forest dark or dusky hill. Old Mad Ub, he hungers still. And then the Mewwips feed,
0: okay. Uh, And the mu-wips feed.
1: Old
2: Mad Ub.
1: Yep, there are several different these called Lost Lore things. They first start in Mordor content, so uh, Weekend will start running across these, and Ah. many of them are spoken.
0: Right. Okay. So the only we got these two halls with small tables, like and and no hearths, so there's no. It's not like a, you know, a great hall. It's like a dining chamber kind of deal, but with these bookcases on both sides.
2: Hmm. hmm.
0: <laughs> right, as Jada says, it's not exactly a great hall. It's more of a mediocre hall. Uh, it's a
2: yeah. Yeah. It's a meh hall.
0: Yeah, something like that.
2: It looks like a, it looks like a just a collection of lore, but for the. They're obviously not trying to give any comfort more than the books themselves. This is for people who enjoy readings, whether there's a fire or not.
0: All those purple balls are scary looking. I hadn't seen one before. Um, hmm. Okay. Well, no other indications to, though I tend to think that these bookcases are new. My theory, as you said, Merchant Outpost, my theory is that after the fall of Rudauer, you know, which was, after all, like a thousand years ago, yeah. um, after the fall of Rudauer, there was, um, there was a. a There was you know, there was still this stronghold on this island, which is obviously right on the trade route down the river. Um yep. so it would have been taken over. And the only people who would have been coming here might have been merchants. So
2: makes sense. Although it has since fallen into disrepair, as we can see.
0: Mm hmm. And they are like, hey, look, a perfectly good stronghold. What's well, yeah, it's and uh, JJ was saying the raised area in front of the bookcases puts me in mind of auctions. You, you could hold auctions in these rooms.
2: Oh yeah, and that'd be the very thing if you just got a shipment of stuff in. Yeah. And as you pointed out last time, this is the perfect crux between Elven and Human and Dwarf nations.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's. I think that's because this this wood all looks too fresh. I mean, look at yeah. the look at the weathering of the beams in the ceiling by contrast to the yeah. you know the neatness of the wood here. It's just, I think the wood is substantially more recent.
2: So intricate. Yeah. It's definitely for show. So, somebody building this is definitely like, uh, let's show how many good craftsmen we can get to make these auction
0: tables. Yep. Yeah, exactly. No, I think it must be.
2: Okay. Oh man, I finally got a look at these uh, dark balls. They look like they look like Gengar from Pokemon. <laughs> Pokemon. I said it look.
0: Yeah, and this one only has the one. You're right. This one does yeah. have the shelves in front of it. I just didn't notice them. From straight on, you don't see them as much. From an angle, there. Yeah, more it's it's.
2: There's a lot of filth and fog in the way.
0: Yes. Yeah. No, I think that's what must be, and they didn't live here, like the merchants didn't dwell here.
2: It's a big enough place to have. I mean, there's definitely there's definitely enough room in here where there could have been living quarters. But could have been. If so, it's it's not in any area we can get to. That's where we came in.
0: Yeah. Oh. Huh. The door handles are like the other ones, but in much better shape.
2: Hmm. Interesting. I think we've seen these hinges a few times before. Maybe. These are definitely Arnorian doors.
0: Maybe. Okay. Well, it's starting to get late. Let's, let's head. Now that I don't have to worry so much about dying all the time, maybe we can just head quickly over to the dig site. I want to see if we can see if there is any... Well, because, okay... So here's one question. Um, I don't suppose Saruman is in like a, an Indiana Jones situation, is he?
2: Well, yeah, I made the joke actually with the, with, with the big uh, ham fisted uh, digging into the quarry over there. There's right. a bulldozer to find a China cup.
0: Right, no, but I was thinking about you know them about digging in the wrong place. Um, <laughs> are we sure that he's digging in the right place? Um,
2: well, obviously not because he doesn't get the ring.
0: <laughs> well, he's—I mean, it's like that's a you know, a, you know, barn door situation as much as anything else. But um, I guess we can just swim downriver from here. Kind of I it's a long
1: swim.
2: It's a long yeah, swim. Yeah, it's a yeah, the, I I That's That's crossing. Easier anyway,
0: yeah. yeah, it would be quicker overland. Change my mind.
2: Also, I think that the speed of the river picks up quite a bit.
0: Well, which you'd think would make it more efficient. But, um, that is, so what I'm asking is, we do suppose that he did, in fact, find the site where Isildur... Yes, we know he did, because we know that he found his bones. Isildur's bones. Um, In the appendix, it says so. Um, Okay. And so presumably, therefore, we can safely conclude that the dig site is, in fact, on the very place where Isildur was killed.
2: Okay. Probably where, yeah, probably where they found the bones or where he did use the bones washed up from.
0: All right. So. That's the dig site over there, right? It's kind of nice that it's. Is it dawn now?
1: they uh, just trying to daytime.
0: It's four done. Nice. Okay. So that's good. Because wasn't it dark last time?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Pretty sure. We were running about half an hour later last time.
0: Right. All right. Yeah. So let's um. let's just see what I'm wanting to do. I'm wanting to kind of get the lay of the land over there a little bit and try to reconstruct the actual, like, the the battle and the situation. It's going to be hard because obviously their excavation will have disrupted the terrain very significantly. Uh, yeah. And it was like some 3,000 years ago on a riverbed, so, you know, there's lots of reason to think that This is probably good a place as any to cross over, right?
2: Yeah, I suppose.
0: We already kinda went further south of the excavation. Okay, well now that it's daytime and I can actually see. Let's think about this here. Sweinhole I was afraid there were gonna be pigs. Um uh, okay. Whoa. Aren't went under oh, completely there for a second.
2: Oh, whoa. All the bosses are chasing after us too. Ever seen a the boss pigs giant spider?
0: Whoa, a swimming giant spider.
2: Yeah. Don't, don't stop. Keep going.
0: Well, that's, it's kind of, it's kind of cute. That was
2: disturbing. Uh, we were just talking about how much we like spiders and I'm sitting here going, do I now?
0: Yes, exactly. <laughs> really- Not that much. Okay, so.
2: I take comfort that a spider that size would explode under the pressure of its own body.
0: Yes. Yeah, I gather the hydraulics really just don't work for giant spiders. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> all right, so I'm a Sildur, and I'm leading an army of Numenorians. First of all, I'm on this bank of the river. Why? The other bank of the river is dry. And now that's something that can change, obviously.
2: Yeah, we don't know what the course of the river was a thousand years plus.
0: Well, three thousand years ago, really. Three thousand so, plus. Yeah, long time ago. Um, the very depth of the excavation suggests that, you know, the terrain has changed a good bit.
2: It does imply Saruman's not quite sure where he's supposed to end up.
0: Yeah. Hmm.
2: Hmm. Like, the, like he, they might have found Isildur's his body in an area that was not in water, but completely buried under the earth, which would imply the river had changed a bit.
0: Right, right. And I'm um I just looking at the map for a second, <clears throat> I mean, this whole area, obviously the whole Fields area here is very... Uh, Wet. Right. Um, uh-huh. So I'm looking, I mean, obviously, uh, what I'm doing is I'm looking around at like elements of the landscape which would certainly, definitely have been here 3,000 years ago, like those stone hills over there. Yeah,
2: those would have been there. My big question is whether this series of marsh, marshy bogs and stuff like that was not once a more direct river course that got broken up by oxbows and such, which actually yeah. bled into each other.
0: Right, exactly. If this were if this were merely... Because, I mean, right now, the way things are, the opposite side of the river that we were just riding down would seem like the obvious terrain. You know, there's it's sort of, you know, shelfy... Uh, You know, hill country there, so you could certainly march an army along there. But this, if we imagine it without the standing water, right, if this were a flat plain, which had not yet been over, you know, had kind of, as you say, the the river course is changed and things, um, that it would have just been flat plain and therefore much more attractive to march an army over. Uh, and as JJ says, Lothlorien and the mountain pass to Rivendell were both on this side of the river. Um, so if it was at all passable 3,000 years ago, a road on this side would make sense. Exactly. Um, they would have just passed up through Lothlorien, presumably through it. Um, I mean, they wouldn't have needed to skirt Lothlorien. Yeah. So yeah, they it would have like probably it, it come looks through. like this
2: area of water is also some runoff that bleds from the Kidzul Kala here. Mm-hmm. Their, um, mm-hmm. Misty Mountains, there's a, there's a little uh, lake that leads from a, uh, a glacier stream uh, away to right. the west.
0: And I wonder even the extent to which that lake is newer.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and all these islands in the middle implied that the, the, the water of the river, as, as young rivers are, was much more twisty and curvy. Mm-hmm. But then um, it, it sort of um, it cut itself off to create these little Oxbow Lakes, which turned into islands.
0: Right. Okay, so you're a silder and you're marching down with your army on, let's call it a flat, dry plain that is crossed yeah. by the river here, right, you know, by the tributary yep. that comes out. Um, And that's where you're attacked. So the orcs attack you. Now, where do the orcs come from?
2: Mountains, I should think from where misty mountains Aren't from the, the hills there?
0: yeah so the orcs come down out of the hills and they trap you here now this would be an obvious place to become trapped they would the orcs would have waited until the army had marched up from the south and come to the place you can see the winding course the main primary course of the river itself right so imagining yeah. that's just a river and the rest of it's a flat plain uh, a, a dry plain the army will have marched up and come just to the point where it had to cross the river. And while it was trapped sort of between these two rivers is when the orcs come down maybe along the, uh, you know, the southern bank of the river. I don't know what the river is called, the little stream that comes down from from Kidzul Kalach, as you say. It doesn't say, but... Yeah. Um, The orcs probably come down the southern bank of that river and attack them here. Um, and yeah, J.J., yeah, I can certainly the imagine they would have moved in from the south, cutting off escape to Lorien. Um, so, yeah, they they come in sweeping in around there. Um,
2: yeah. Not to mention broad flat land and being chased by wargs.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, this was a Numenorean army that we're talking about, so they wouldn't have been... They had to be enormously, heavily outnumbered. Uh, in order yeah. to be seriously threatened um, by orcs and wargs. Yeah, but um, a... but it was a night ambush as well, which would have... Um, the, the war bows of the Numenorians of course, were very famous, so they wouldn't yes. have had any chance to do anything there. So there are all these different sites that he's got here. So then assuming, again, looking at the big map the battle happens around here, Isildur would have gone off um, across the river. But of course, as you say, we don't know exactly where the edge of the river was. Yeah. But let's say this hill that's here, let's say it was a hill. Right, and he would have crept off. So it would have been down. What's this uh, banner here for? It's just another it overst- banner. Okay. It's a little weird. Anyway, so it would have been somewhere, because we're not really to the river proper. Let me Let me head over to the other side, to the edge of the river, what probably would have been the river. Exactly, J.J. So Isildur was in a desperate situation in a high place surrounded by orcs and wargs. Yep. Exactly. Uh-oh.
2: I would probably seen encounter. them earlier and followed them well before nightfall.
0: Yeah. There's a forlorn glimmer?
2: Yeah, I, I think the glimmers huh. here are just very emotional glimmers.
0: Apparently. Moody. Okay, so this is the, again, hard to say where the edge of the river was. But I can't yeah, my, think. My
2: only theory is that the, the, the lake had not bled through yet at the time, yeah. causing this marshland.
0: I can't think that their excavations are where the ring was. I mean, unless the river was much wider then, which I suppose is possible. I mean the river, yeah. The river would have had to be all the way because I mean for him to be shot in the reeds at the edge and then to end up way up in here.
2: Well, let's see. Let's. Are you looking at the map right
0: now? Or no, I'm walking up to the top of the hill. This is the biggest excavation, the one that we got into last time. Um. I'm just trying to imagine that this was the edge of the river. Could be, I suppose.
2: Could be, or it could have. You see, you see, you on the map where there's that natural path from Kudzakala to the main river. Mm-hmm. It could have. It could have followed that curve and then moved flat over time. Yeah, maybe. I don't know how young this river is. I, I don't know. <laughs>
0: well, not, not has, very. I mean, which one? It's not very young,
2: but also comparatively to like Valerian. Who knows, you know?
0: Well, and the Anduin was there when the elves crossed over, you know, when the elves went to Valinor in the first place.
2: That's true. That's true. So it gets a mention. Had, uh, that's still a lot. That's still a lot of uh, time.
0: It is. It is. That's it's not much time in a geological time frame, though. Oh, I yeah, love I mean, we don't we, I, I, clouds that are hanging around the top of that mountain. That's pretty awesome.
2: Yes! What's on fire up there? Are they burning leaves?
0: I don't know. Lots of them, apparently. That
2: time of year, you yeah. know? It's the mist? That looks like all
0: it's, that. It's, it's, it's the mist on the misty mountains? I guess so.
2: Hence okay. the name. Okay. I see it now. That's
0: why it's called the Misty Path. There we go. Um, yeah, JJ, that's what I'm thinking too. I mean, this slope, feel, I mean, this, this feels, like it's, I mean, I don't know, land can change a good deal in 3,000 years, especially right next to a river, so I should i suppose suspend my disbelief about it it just mm-hmm. though i guess down here it's not but that it
2: also does explain all of the different dig sites in different locations you could see that sarman would be plotting the course of the river over 3000 years and trying to place his best guess for each time period where mm-hmm. the river yeah maybe ended so. Up.
0: And there are hills on the other side, not the far hills on the other side, but...
2: Yeah, the only difference is they're on rock, and this looks definitely like packed up mud.
0: Yes. Yeah, I mean, they dig down to rock here, but... Yeah. Okay. I suppose I can believe that this might have been the plain at some point before a lot of it was washed away. So if, like, the level that we're standing at right now is about where the ground was you know the ground level of the plane three thousand years ago before this delta got all kind of carved out from it
1: mm. okay
2: that would explain why this the cliffs are so steep now they would have been it would not have been a steep accent right the, the, the other side of the, the other of the side
0: up. yeah 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 Okay. Still a little hard for me to believe that they found a sildur's bones in this quarry. Um,
1: I have no comment because there's a story in the game that tells what you're wondering about.
0: Yeah. Well, that's okay.
2: I suppose it makes sense if the quarry was, like, made of, like, shale or something.
0: Right. I love the dredger.
2: Yay, level
1: 122.
0: Nice. Oh, a gladdened toad, huh? Oh, and and then I said we saw some, well, not, not oath breakers. Um, where did these spirits get lost?
2: What are they called?
0: Lost spirits.
2: Lost spirits.
0: Do we ever get to interview any of them?
2: Sometimes depends on the area. Oh, look at all
1: the dead people, dead orcs. Yeah.
0: You see dead faces.
1: No, No, I see dead bodies with a white hand on them.
0: Oh, dead torsos. Yeah. Where the flies killed them?
1: Probably. Hmm. Maybe they
2: drank from the water.
0: Yeah, the floating corpses do suggest it's probably not particularly potable water at this point. Not anymore, anyway. Yeah, exactly. See you now here's some
2: orcs are designed orcs are designed to uh, imbibe water that would be toxic to others.
0: Foul air and poison you're thinking of. Um okay.
1: Considering the state of the bodies, they're fairly recent kills though. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah.
0: But okay. Okay. So I'm just looking at the rocks over here. Which of course are kind of interesting from a Thinking about runoff and the terrain
1: here. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, what's on fire across the river?
2: I don't know. Maybe you can check that out next time.
0: Yeah. Um, so, okay. Oh. Well, having thought a little bit then more about this as an archaeological site and about the Numenorian battle. My next question is, where did Smeagol live? He must have lived around here. So moving forward many centuries, I uh, am wondering. They would have left, but is there any evidence? I would expect to find evidence. So, let's look around the Gladden Fields a little bit next time to see if we can find any evidence of um, Hobbit Ruins. Okay. We'll see. Maybe they lived in those huts we saw in Holt Slackfish. Maybe. 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 Um, yeah, Jadier says his uh, grandmother had many such objects, so we should look for a place with a lot of rings of power. Agreed, yeah. Yeah, we'll know we found it <laughs> when there are like a ton of rings of power just hanging around on you know dwarf
2: ring, man ring, dwarf ring. <laughs> All garbage.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Okay. So we'll 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 look about and see if we can find anything. Um I'm a little bit curious as to why that hill is on fire, but we will Oh,
1: there's something there.
0: I figured there's something there. So we'll We'll take i'll take we'll take a look over there we'll search the northern part of the i guess we should we should go uh i'm gonna go counterclockwise around the gladden fields then we can go up to uh, uh Kizukala, since we're be we close to there and see what's around up there and Sounds then we good. can continue to circle around the lands here all right awesome why well, should let folks go it's getting late Thank you guys so much for joining me. This was another fun field trip this week. And uh, uh, we will continue our explorations in this strange new territory next time.
2: All right, sounds good.
0: Okay, have a good week, everybody.
2: Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of the Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org fund.